0: To the Forecast Roundtable. Today we'll be discussing the situation in the Persian Gulf. I'm going to be your host today. I'm Dan Darling, Senior Analyst here at Forecast International, covering international military markets. And with me is Matthew Bears and Derek Passaccio. As I mentioned already, today we'll be discussing the growing tensions in the Middle East related to the U.S.-Iran dispute and how these tensions have continued to escalate. Guys, um, let's start off with... Derek, what is exactly Iran's mindset because we know that the Trump administration has pulled out of the the nuclear agreement, the 2015 nuclear agreement, right, right. and is placing more pressure on Iran not successfully in all areas because Iran has valuable allies on the security council, UN Security Council. But with the events that have been going on, what's Iran's mindset? And are they seeking escalation, de-escalation, defending their territory and seeking to cast themselves as an underdog? What exactly would you make out of all these events of recent note?
1: Right. So I think throughout the entire entirety of the Trump administration so far, Iran has really been trying to figure out what exactly it is the White House is looking for. Out of Iran, obviously under the previous administration, it seemed pretty apparent that uh, President Obama was looking to get you know this nuclear agreement in place. Um, they had kind of an idea of what the scope of it was going to be. They were focused mostly on nuclear program, and that once that agreement came into into effect, you had. Uh, I don't want to say report and I don't want to say they created you know trust, I think is probably but but a good yeah way. I think you know you started to see uh, you know I think a little bit better of an intention or uh, understanding of each other's intentions right. um, obviously President Trump campaigned um, during his presidential campaign he looked for um, removing the United States from the deal he pointed to a few key a few key areas that were um, some of them were related to the nuclear program he uh, didn't like the fact that it had expiring provisions. Um, after about a decade and a half, uh, but then also looking at uh, their missile program and uh, some of the activities that the IRGC does throughout the region. Now, obviously, that's a more expanded version of it. So, what Iran's looking looking at, when it comes to the Trump administration, where their where their mindset on this is, is what what's Trump's end game? Is he you know is he going to be content with just inking a new nuclear deal that has you know it's a little bit stricter? Maybe it doesn't give them right. as much of the Concess- concessions if you will the economic concessions that came you know, in 2015 or is he looking to do uh is he looking to go a lot you know a lot um, a little more pressure on Taron. a little bit more pressure yeah. yeah um you know if you look at uh, some of the folks that are in his administration obviously john bolton obviously gets the spotlight he um is a very um, staunch critic of um, the Islamic Republic, as well as a lot of other top officials in yeah, um, in the administration. Yeah, like Pompeo, and so so Iran's really trying to figure this out. You know, is this is this economic pressure campaign? Is this really in the same sort of way that because you know, the Obama administration ran an economic pressure campaign? And that was geared towards getting Iran specifically to the table that for the with nuclear the Bush administration. Right? No, you're, you're you're right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't exclusive to to the Obama yeah, administration. Yeah, no, it's, it's but, been um, pretty
0: consistent. Right. Right. Administration it policy. Regardless is using of,
1: that and then bring them to the table. Right. See what you can see what you can get. Um, but I I think they're they might be looking at it as as well I I guess the question for them is is whether Trump's thrown that out the window, yeah. um and obviously for much that, of the world I
0: imagine right
1: right and obviously that um that's something that you know can be tough to get a handle on and so what you've seen with a lot of especially in the last few months there's been a market escalation. Um, this comes as there's been a change, well, a, a development on the U.S. approach. Um, the U.S. has looked to, as part of its economic pressure, it started ending waivers for uh, countries that were importing Iranian oil. Mm-hmm. Most countries um, weren't were never getting the, those waivers, but some of the top importers were, and the U.S. has started ending that. And
0: and that's cutting off their lifeline. Right. The that's cutting. Yeah.
1: That's line. their. That's their revenue stream. And so that obviously is going to be very problematic on top of sanctions, um, on top of all the other challenges that the Iranian economy is facing. Um, that's going to put a lot more pressure on the government. There was, um, I believe it was early last year, there was a lot of protests um, that came out. People were upset about, you know, all kinds of issues, but started to, you know, veer towards a lot of um the troubles that the economy is facing and so obviously you know anything that further tightens the screws on Iran Mm -hmm. um you you know is obviously they're gonna you know they're gonna react very badly to that and so where they're looking at this and if you look at it it's not just you know there's the tanker attacks that happened Mm -hmm. um there was a, a set of attacks that happened in early May where four vessels were hit uh another two um were hit this June uh, no, you know nobody's actually claimed responsibility for it, but there's a lot of suspicion. And they're not going to. Right, there's a lot of suspicion that it's on Iran. Plausible um,
0: deniability, kind of always being their mo. Right, but well, with the exception right. of the drone, of course. They, and then,
1: yeah, and then um, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, and then you've also seen um, a lot of their uh, proxies or allied um, non-state actors throughout the region have kind of um, increased their their actions. You've got Ansar Allah Law in Yemen. Uh, the Houthis uh, that have fired missiles or launched drones that have launched attacks into Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. uh, and then recently you've had a few um, instances in Iraq where you know random rockets or missiles have you know landed in facilities that are owned by foreign companies or owned by American companies. Nobody's claimed responsibility for it, but you kind of get the picture and that that's this of, is the, you know an escalation. So it's, it's
0: been a little on the back page, right? You know, the the big issues have been the tanker attacks, and yep. then. Uh, yesterday's drone strike um, Where the IRGC claims to have Well And it's been confirmed By the U.S. Navy They they took down an RQ-4 Global Hawk um, It's an Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance drone I I believe the,
2: There there were reports That they shot down um, I forgot what type of drone it was yeah, R- But then R- they, they, they Well it was a basic said that was a different model That drone, the Air, yeah.
0: U.S. Air Force Had basically not wanted and they, from what I've read, it's they've they gave it to the Navy. It's not. It's it's a big UAV. It's a big. This, it's this right. It's, it's, what, it's, but the it's Iranians big, are claiming it's, big over and their it's expensive and so, right. yeah.
1: And so where where Iran's. Um. Yeah, where their claims come into play is they're they're saying that this crossed into their airspace. Um, they actually just recently, uh, just before we started, uh, uh, doing this this podcast, they released footage uh, that claimed to show the actual incident, and then they put out you know like this little video infographic, um, that showed kind of their perspective on it, and they're they're claiming that the flight path. Uh, crossed into their airspace. Uh, the United States, however, is saying that this no, this happened in international airspace. Right. This is the um,
0: typical kind of he said, she said, right? Yeah, geopolitics, exactly. Geopolitics, much like um, almost the Russian jet getting uh, shot down by uh, Turkey. In,
1: right. Um, yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Because because with 2015? that, I re- yeah, yeah, with that. I re- yeah. As I recall with that, that was, um. you know, a discrepancy between whether it actually crossed into Turkish right. airspace, whether it stayed in Syrian airspace. Same same idea with this. And so with that. Uh, you you really have the Iranians. It seems like from all of these little incidents, all of these little you know, if you want to call it like a pinprick, mm-hmm. um, they're really kind of feeling out where Trump's red line is. Yeah, and, I mean, and yeah, exactly. all of these all of these incidents for the you know um, have not resulted in any casualties. The tanker attacks, obviously, you, the drone is not manned, so it, you know you're shooting down an unmanned device. Um, the rockets that have you know hit places in Iraq uh, have not caused any casualties. Mm-hmm. And so there's no
0: which makes it a perfect uh, crime, so to speak.
1: Right. And so you so what you have is it's a demonstration of the capability without giving you know without providing the U.S. any extraordinary reason to need to retaliate. Now the United States may well retaliate um, for this latest incident as well as because the United States has already been bringing in additional uh, troops, additional vessels in response to the tanker attacks. And then you add the drone attack on top of it, which, you know, Iran has unambiguously said, you know, claimed responsibility for it. I right.
2: feel like that's the way the media has been presenting it. Uh, and and also, like I was saying before, that almost as if they're they're the administration, not Trump necessarily, but the, the administration is trying to find an excuse for conflict. And I definitely get that from the media, that they're, they've been presenting it that way.
0: Right. And at the same time, uh, the trump himself who's fast with the twitter fingers right um, <laughs> he hasn't exactly been bellicose about going to war no well, that, he is, that, no he's not that wasn't his it election was platform right yeah. he's iran made a big mistake or right. whatever well yeah I, I he's mixing he, my words there. he said no, the same no, thing yeah, with north just, korea yeah, he said yeah, he we'll, said, we'll
2: yeah. destroy you if you cross the red line but it, it was a negotiation tactic
0: I mean, it seems to be his style of approach. But maybe they know that, too. Maybe they've caught on. Let's hold on to the the U.S. side of things for a second. Because I want to walk this back just a little bit. And let's, two things. Mm -hmm. Number one, Derek, why don't you touch on, you mentioned the IRGC. For Mm -hmm. people who listen, we assume most of them already are very versed in geopolitics and, and military matters because that's what this podcast is aimed for that community but why don't you walk us through two aspects what is the irgc and where do they fit into Iran's security apparatus because they're not the same as the iranian military
1: right right um so the islamic revolutionary guards corps or the um irgc was developed as a way to kind of safeguard the um, islamic revolution that brought um the current iranian government or the current iranian regime into power in 1979 uh, the goal behind it is to operate parallel to the military, and it's often received a lot uh, greater attention than the military.
0: So you'd say it's better armed.
1: I not well. I I would say um, yeah. I mean I th- I think it's better. Yeah, it's got a better. <laughs> I, I guess, imagine their you know, motivation what, yeah, levels for it's a, a more elite force. Yeah, it's, it's much more. A, it's, um,
0: profound right. than it's, the normal military. It's
1: definitely a more elite force. I think with the regular military you have you have larger numbers and you have, you know, that's where a lot of their, you know, their tanks, their artillery, mm-hmm. uh, even their warships, that's where a lot of those are are, are you know, are housed. But where, where the IRGC comes into play is that they're um, some of the most effective uh, units that Iran has in uh, any of Iran's foreign operations, so like in Syria, Syria in particular, yeah. it's the IRGC um, through its Quds Force that's that's kind of leading the leading the show. Right. And they They're train also them, Hezbollah, uh, right,
0: and armed them during the conflicts where they've been involved with israel so is right like and so places? way and so w- it's the a, way it's that a way that iran guard for the regime right. i think would be yeah. The right best way of yeah. Saying yeah and it's right. yeah
1: and yeah and how it operates domestically that's yeah that's a good way to look at it and then externally that's that's really your yeah your special operations they're they're the ones that are going out there into you know basically frontier areas or dangerous areas and working to advance iranian interests uh, throughout the region they're also where iran's um all their ballistic missiles and that entire arsenal is basically under the IRGC uh, control and so what that gives them is they have a lot of deterrence and a lot of um a lot of influence a lot of the recent incidents that we've you know we've seen with the tanker attacks what the US suspects is that these were Carried out by members of the IRGC in in these uh, little speedboats that they would be deploying in these speedboats, and then they would be swarming. Right, and so that's where yeah, so where they where they've kind of found their their niche in um in the naval aspect of it is they look for they've procured a lot of small vessels that are pretty heavily armed for their size, and they they're looking at you know being able to essentially pack a punch for a very tiny vessel. Right. obviously low cost high low cost and it doesn't take a whole lot to produce those Iran's been under arms embargoes off and on for a very long time they're presently under one that's under the 2015 nuclear accord is due to end next year but it's still in force and so they've made do with what they've got and they've really focused on what their strengths are and so they've really they've really looked to build up the IRGC as it's as the means of deterrence you've got in uh, 2015 Actually, in 2015, amid the the nuclear negotiations with the Obama administration, they did a war game where they demonstrated blowing up a you know a static model of an aircraft carrier. The mm-hmm. you know uh, you know the message from that is obviously them saying that they can you know destroy a you know a U.S. carrier, which would be obviously massive yeah. massive cost that's, for the u.s were it to were it to happen to yeah yeah, you, yeah it's obviously a, it's you a know lot a, lot, a lot a lot a lot easier to sink a static model than it is you know no, a real vessel. No, but the be- message is this is what that's you know that's this is what that's geared for that's what they're developing that force for and really they're trying to pack a bigger punch than you know the, the regular military could um to kind of demonstrate, I think, to the U.S. that look like you might be able to beat us in a conventional war, but we will make it so costly mm-hmm. that it's going to affect you and you're going to have to pull assets away from other regions where you, you know, maybe are more focused like East Asia. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And and it makes me wonder if they're playing on U.S. fears because we I'm sure you're familiar with the Paul Van Riper. Um, Millennium Challenge, 2002 war game exercise. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote about it in his book *Blank*, and it was swarming attacks taking that heavy cost to the U.S. Navy right. to keep the Strait of Hormuz open for oil right. shipping. Because that's what this is all about in that strategic area. Is, right,
1: especially with the with the tanker well, Iran with the tanker wins attacks. By that's shutting what down, that demonstrates is their capability to. At least temporarily close the Strait.
0: I mean, that shuts down a lot of the global economy, and that brings everybody to the negotiating table. Right,
2: right. and and they're they're going to mask themselves. They're they're going to camouflage themselves in with civilian craft, and the minute we hit one of those civilian craft, we've we've lost yeah, right I mean, there. You, I mean, you lose in the
0: court of public opinion. Yeah, for and sure. It's easy for the U.S. too, because traditionally, since you know the Cold War era, it, international media right. likes to. Well, they'll be all. banking on the that The U.S. US for sure. is always the, the, the negative party in these. You know, the Israelis know this firsthand. From the second Lebanon war, uh, Hezbollah would um, hide behind civilian targets and when Israeli jets right. would hit them, the propaganda campaign came out and the Associated Press would – Carry their water for them, so to speak. They'll and
2: definitely do that. They'll so have, have a sailing craft PR go arm. right next to uh, one of our that, one of our naval vessels. That's something where the United States do?
1: has really struggled in this latest kind of confrontation with Iran is really it narrowing down. Yeah. You know, a solid a solid PR campaign, even coming right back to the administration's decision to actually leave the deal in May 2018. You know, Trump had considered it for a little while. He had kind of delayed the. Decision on it and gave you know gave them time to do unspecified changes and then finally May May of 2018 rolls around and he says you know what that's that's enough we're leaving the deal right and since then it's been really hard for him to make the case that this is you know Iran causing you know the problems and which is remarkable even though you have you know these instances of the tanker attacks you've had even you know key American allies that have questioned you know the evidence around it. Um, or, you know, whether they actually don't believe the evidence or they're mostly just looking to de-escalate the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Germany, they could,
0: you know, we pretty much need to have Iran launch a nuke in Chicago (laughs) for them to buy in. Does the chemical attack? I think moral weight. Right. Is, a, is probably a. Um, yeah. Winning winning a, the world wars has certainly this. been. Yeah. It's certainly the, been. Does difficult. the U.S. carry more weight on this issue? And particularly, does the Trump administration carry the more weight?
2: It's like, smart shooting down a drone. No
0: people died. And uh, it's, it, 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 it. Well, it's that's smart. also, and that's they can also something. Say uh, it was over our territory. Right, and right. Until right. they, you know, um, look at the coordinates and everything and make the case in the court of public opinion. It's uh, there's no way you escalate over that. Yeah, to, right. to the degree of a shooting war. Right, um, right. We also know how often are peer on peer conflicts going on in the world these days. Right. So it's a matter of escalation, de escalation, I would think, on on the fringes. Right. And yeah. that ties into something greater that we should talk about, which is. The bigger picture in the Middle East with Iran and the sort of proxy war, so to speak, Sunni, Shiite and Iran, Saudi uh, disagreements and struggles for influence in the region. Mm -hmm. So you want to touch on that a little bit, Derek? Right. Well, I I know so it's kind of a broad it's a broad it's a broad, it's a broad
1: subject. There. But so so what you've really had going you know behind the scenes of a lot of these conflicts is you know a conflict either between Saudi Arabia and Iran or through mostly through proxies or through non-state actors where they've kind of I would say in, in many cases outsourced their rivalry to be fought out. Now I think the most the most clear example would be in, in Yemen uh but also in in so Syria at least in at yeah moment. in Syria at least for for a while um Saudi Arabia was a staunch backer of the uh, you know the armed opposition in Syria uh with Iran obviously being a very close supporter of Bashar al-Assad you have the reverse of that situation in in Yemen mm-hmm. um where Saudi Arabia has gotten directly involved and has gone ahead and um you know, launched an in- air campaign against what's what's seen as a you know an Iranian yeah an Iranian Iranian proxy. The the real the level of ties between Iran and Ansar Allah are often debated. Um, but it, you know, even even the UN has identified that they've received arms and probably some other support um, from Iran. And it's definitely clear that you know Saudi viewed it as very very dangerous that you know this this Iranian backed proxy took over you know the capital of Yemen in in 2014 and so that's really been you know why that's um been key and then you also have a lot of nebulous um uh incidents that have gone on within e- each of their borders so iran has had uh, a number of instances especially um in the past year or so where there were um there were terror attacks there was a bombing of a of a, of a bus uh, earlier this year that resulted in deaths of a lot of irgc officials and they kind of pointed to they they, they they would say it vaguely, but they would point to external state actors as being involved. And one of the incidents that I think is very instructive of kind of Iran's posture with um, with this is back in uh, back a few years ago, um, a bunch of uh, gunmen that were uh, linked to the Islamic State uh, went and uh, carried out a number of terrorist attacks inside Iran, and Iran retaliated by firing a number of ballistic missiles from Iran proper into Syria. This is back when Islamic State still had a significant amount of territory there. And the, the message was, you know, not just that they were retaliating for these, for these terrorist attacks, but also they were demonstrating, you know, when they, when they talk about their missile deterrent power, that this is something they could fire this right across the Gulf and hit Saudi Arabia. Uh, a few of those missiles were reported to have crashed on and route, so that obviously hurts yeah, your your turn, But at least right and right. yeah, and their and their claims of the actual casualties from you know the missiles is you, suspect. But in any case, at least a few of them hit their targets, and it's at least demonstrative of, of the f- fact that Iran can carry out those launches and can certainly put um, infrastructure at, at risk. Uh, you've seen Ansar al Law in in Yemen fire. Uh, ballistic missiles targeting Saudi infrastructure. They've used uh, unmanned aer- aerial vehicles, probably supplied by Iran or at least, su- you know, Iran might have helped them with the technology of it. And they've hit pipelines, airports, yeah, it's and things like strategic that. And so you, yeah, and so you've had kind of this 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 low low intensity conflict between the two bubbling under the surface for a while. And now you're starting to see it really drag the United States in. Obviously, the United States has not been completely on the sidelines during all this, but now it's really starting to affect uh, the United States and bring bring in the U.S. Because well, obviously, a key American interest is keeping shipping lanes open. The way. same
0: old story: protecting international shipping and lanes. I, I mean, that was I was going to ask: Do you think it's in the Saudis' interest to keep the U.S. still involved in this?
1: Right. Well, and
0: that's something I think that, well, I think I mean, it's just a question, me, not a conspiracy yeah. theory. Well, no, either, no, no, no.
1: It's a, it's a fair question. Well, because I I, th- I think definitely so, because what Saudi Arabia has seen in the last, you know, take take the last, say, 10 years or so, uh, two key factors have kind of undermined um, the, the, I would say just the Middle East broadly as an important area of, of American concern. One of those... Um, would be the Obama administration's effort to cut, you know, a nuclear deal with Iran that was very indicative of the United States looking to de-escalate, you know, a, a crisis, actually find a solution for something, and whether maybe that would have worked. Yeah, yeah, process. and maybe, and, and that's the way the Saudis saw it is, you know, that this could be an indication of an opening between the two, and then you've also had domestically in the U.S. the U.S. has boosted its uh, production of shale um, oil. And that's reduced the importance of the region Middle East oil. Now, obviously, it's you know it's very important. If you if the Strait of Hormuz closed tomorrow, that's going to have a huge impact of on oil markets. But the relative importance of it has lessened. And so, I think the Saudis are, are are you know hoping to keep the United States engaged in the region you know for the long term. They've also obviously seen a lot of the pressure from the United States Congress. Uh, that's over their campaign in, in Yemen and over mm-hmm. the killing of the, uh, the uh, of, of the journalist for, for the Washington Post and so they've they, they've really realized that their relationship with the United States is fraying and I think that's a, a very a very real concern for Saudi Arabia that they need to find a way to keep the United mm-hmm. States engaged and engaged on their side.
0: Well there's there's so many different angles I mean there's the economic and the military obviously a lot of Members of Congress, presidential candidates, even Donald Trump when he ran. It was how do we detach ourselves militarily from right. this region? That was, that was a big part of his yeah, platform. And, yeah. But economically, keeping the global commons open for trade is, right. it falls on our shoulders. Uh, right. And the U.S. Navy then is still going to be a presence there. And by extension, air bases. Ground forces in in the region in the Gulf uh, GCC countries, Gulf Cooperation Council, like Qatar and uh, Kuwait, uh, and still small presences in Iraq. Right, but it's disentangling the U.S. from that region it seems to be it pulls you in, regardless of administration.
1: Right, and that's I th- I think every like the last the last few United States presidents that have come into office have have really looked to say as they're as they're entering office look we're not trying to get further entangled Three we're administrations not yeah in a row. we're not trying to end up in these in these wars and these conflicts and then once they once they take power once they come into once they get elected they realize that it's a lot more difficult than that because there's usually some kind of crisis that beckons for american attention and and where there's Part a vacuum,
0: of it. someone else fills, such Right, as, and, to get off topic here, yeah, but no, such as Russia and Syria.
1: Yeah, it well, exactly. Uh, yeah, That's and so more in
0: their strategic interest in the United States. But nonetheless, who saw Putin putting troops in Syria in the intelligence and foreign policy community? Prior to them. and who
1: and who saw him him able to sustain it because that right? was another Absolutely. big question that I, I, I mean, remember if you emerging. If me,
0: I would have said that's not going to happen.
1: Right, and 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 nor would it be able to happen for 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 very long. But they've obviously they've been there for we're closing in on four years yeah. since they since they deployed. I mean, we knew they had and interest, so. they
0: had a naval base, but nonetheless, it, it's still about the the willingness to risk uh, treasure. In, right. in blood, capital, and money, right, and 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 foreign policy relations, diplomatic and, fallout,
1: and and also part of it, I think for, for for the U.S. is obviously they would like for you know there's a constant you know looking for, and this is in any region of the world, looking for you know the the partners, the allies, to kind of step up and and take the lead, but then when the U.S. watches them do it they start getting a little bit concerned and it's kind of like a you know if you want something done you do it yourself mm-hmm. and so if you look at Libya I think is, is, a, is a fantastic uh, yeah, example yeah. is obviously in, in 2011 uh, the United States along with NATO stepped in and ousted Gaddafi mm-hmm. from then the United States has kind of taken a back seat we even and took a back seat, now back you have conflict, to be honest and now you have obviously regional powers stepping in now mm-hmm. where the United States ends up acting with that. Is is another you know idea altogether? But so when you're looking at at a, at a situation with Iran, do you step back and just watch what Saudi Arabia and the UAE do? Do you watch you know Iran kind of keep doing these sort of operations, expanding their their network, or do you you know do you intervene even if you're even if you're President Trump and he's you know obviously he was looking to get out of Syria, he's looking to get out of Afghanistan, uh, he's looking to downsize presence in in Iraq. Because that was something he campaigned against. He's oh, never yeah. been enthused he's, he's, with he's those been sorts of... he very
0: vocal about opposition to military conflicts in the Middle East and the waste in, in, in blood and treasure. Right. Uh, and it's just... I think one of the mindsets would be you allocate power very carefully. Right. And is this something through which for which you're going to put all your chips in the middle of the table and uh, risk a lot of blood and treasure on something with very minimal net gain.
2: I don't think you can risk blood and treasure. We, we can't afford a, a even a semi-major conflict for sure, and, uh, and people I mean, are fatigued in terms right, of the, right. the blood capital.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and, and um, it's going to be... Just like Trump ran on it, it's going to be popular on the Democratic side to run on it. Um, But again, how do they keep getting sucked back into this? That concludes part one of this podcast. Thank you for joining us. and Please join us again when we do part two and go delve a little deeper into longstanding Iran-U.S. disputes in the region. Thanks again.